Hello and welcome to The Breakdown Podcast. I am Jamie Finch-Penninger and I am very lucky to be joined today by David Hunter, aka The Cycling Mole on Twitter. And David, it's great to be joined by you in sunny Scotland. Um, where are we talking to you from? Uh, Edinburgh. And uh, what's the weather like at the moment? I just want to rub it in how much better our Australian summers are than um, European winters. Listen, I'm telling you, this European winter is unreal. Today was 12 degrees in Scotland. Oh, well, to be honest, it's not that much different in Australia at the moment. It was, <laughs> it was 36 the other day, but um, then it dropped down and it's now 18 and rainy. So it's, <laughs> it's not the best weather here at the moment. But um, anyway, we'll heat up in any case for the Australian action. And um, that is when we expect the action to be hot as well, not just the weather. And it'll be, you know, all the World Tour riders gathering for the Tour Down Under and Cadell Evans Road Race and then going into races which are a bit smaller but um, have their own historical heritage in, in the Jayco Herald Sun Tour. And as we were talking before the podcast, uh, David raced like the Bay Quits and Australian Nationals, which really kick off the, that, you know, 2017 season. Um, what, what's the sort of impression that the that the international um, scene takes away from what happens in Australia. Cause it's, it's the first racing of this, of the season, but it's not necessarily the most high profile stuff of the year. Uh, no, but I mean, a lot of us like to tune in for the Bay Crits just to see Caleb Ewan winning ridiculous amounts of stages and just to see how his form. Obviously when you watch Tour Down Under, you've got to remember that the Australians are usually on not top form, but, you know, they're about 80%, 90%, whereas the European riders coming in are significantly lower. So one of the reasons Oracle always seem to dominate year in, year out is because it's a massive deal to them and their riders are primed and ready to go. So you can take a little bit away, like good performances from, you know, obviously your Australian stars at Guinness and Port, but it's always nice to see uh, some of the younger riders come through. Uh, so, you know, Hamilton was, was this year and we've had other really good riders previously. Some of the foreign riders go well, like Hanau, Thomas. Uh, so it's, it's always a great start to the season because we've been starved of cycling for a couple of months. So roll on to down under. In particular, if you're looking for something new to read, um, check out um, David's interview with Chris Hamilton, um, the under-23 national road champion from last year, where he talks about, um, well, his not so much about his move to uh, Sunweb Giant for next year, but more about his riding in general and what motivates him to ride. It's a, it's a great read and I really recommend it. Um, what was your impression of Chris when you were speaking to him? Uh, good guy. Uh, grounded, level-headed, uh, knows that next year is going to be tough. Uh, the move across, I mean, he is a talented young rider, but to achieve anything in his first season in Spain is going to be huge. He's moving over to Girona and it's really going to be a learning season for him. If he can do anything, I would imagine it will be early. And he didn't confirm he's going to ride to down under, but I think it's about 95% certain. So I think if he's going to do anything this season, it will be early and it'll be it will be in the down under. And then the rest of the season it will be it'll be learning the move to Girona is going to be huge. Uh, try and set up in a house over there get used to European racing, that will be a culture shock for him. He's not ridden a huge amount of races uh, coming from mountain biking, so he'll find that transition really difficult. Uh, but the team believe in him. They've given him a three-year contract, so 
once he gets through this first year, this first tough year, I would expect to see the best out of him in the following two years. Yeah, there was a, well, a very small amount of controversy um, when he decided to turn down um, the offer of a place in the World Tour Academy, which is where probably about 80% of young riders, or more than that, uh, you know, every, every almost every young rider wants to go to the World Tour Academy because it guarantees that you get put in the in the shop front for all the world tour teams. They're checking out the, that under 23 scene in Europe. Um, Chris Hamilton decided to, you know, stay in Australia, race with Avanti and go that way. And thankfully it's worked out for him because he did have that nasty crash midway through the year. So yeah, all the best for him in the future. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, the point of this, of this week's uh, podcast was to discuss the world tour and we'll take a little break and come back with that. Okay, and we are back talking about the World Tour, and there's a few new t- new teams on the scene, David. Um, who, who's caught your eye? I mean, there's obviously the new Bahrain setup, Bahrain Merida. There's uh, Peter Sagan's team, uh, which is Bora Hans Grover, uh, though obviously they used to be Bora Argon 18 in the pro cycle in the pro continental scene. And apart from that, who else? We got TJ Sports Lamprey, the though whether they'll be called that in the future is up for debate. And another team that's caught my eye, not on the world tour scene, but on pro continental is Aqua blue who have made a number of very interesting signings. Um, who's picked your eye from that lot there, David. Bahrain are, are, are a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, obviously they've got Nibali, but they don't have a whole lot else. They signed Rodriguez for world tour points and then, they didn't need him, so he retired, which was a kind of illustration of the money that they've got and how ridiculous a team they're going to be. Oh, to be honest, I think that team looks a disaster. Nibali's there. He's not got much support. Uh, Izagiri, who joined from Movistar, will probably ride a different race programme from him. They've got a couple of sprinters, but, yeah, I don't like the look of Bahrain whatsoever. Well, which Nibali are you talking about? Are you talking Vincenzo or Antonio? I mean, obviously, I don't know. Who would you prefer to take, Antonio Nibali or uh, Juraj Sagan? Who, who's your pick from those two? Juraj. Uh, to be honest, yes, as well. I mean, at least he's got a – he can take somebody into the last half of a bike race, at least. He's not He's not going to win a race, but he's he's got that He's got that going for him as well. He's, you know, decent domestic sort of rider. I still um, remember his performance at the Worlds. That was uh... – yeah, it was very good. Yeah, um, yeah, obviously Kolar was great there as well. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we'll, we'll, I suppose we're going to talk a bit about um, Bora Hans Grover now. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting that um, Sagan brings a bit of a a bit of a posse with him these days. Probably Uraj Sagan, uh, Eric Basker as well from Tinkoff, um, Mikhail Kolar, and Mashej Bosna um, are. His, his boys at the moment. And it's interesting because none of them are really uh, lieutenants as you would describe like a he- Jesus Hernandez or something for um, a Boto Contador. I mean, they're not, they're not really those guys who are going to be there and firing in the last 20 kilometers or so for most, in most occasions, but they are the guys who can get him to the back end of the race. And they're, and from there, Sagan just does what he does best and dominates from there on. I mean, is that what he needs or does he need, you know that second person who can you know take him to the take him to the line essentially. 
I think Bora are a, a good example of a team who have spent wisely. They obviously have a huge amount of money and they've paid Sidian handsomely, which she probably deserves, but they've they've spent wisely. Unlike Bahrain, who almost have had a scattergun approach to the signings. They've, they've gone clever. Sagan has identified the key men he wants to go with him. Uh, you're right. None of these guys are kind of anybody who could step up if Sagan was having a bad day, but he he is so good. He is so strong that he just needs to be put into the last 20k and then he can do the rest himself. Uh, interesting, some of the riders who didn't come across with him, like Oscar Gatto, who's away to Astana. Clearly, Sagan identified him as somebody who wasn't uh, wasn't one of the riders he wanted to take with him. Uh, but I think Bora look incredibly strong, not just Sagan, but the signings of Koenig coming back to the team and Micah. Uh, they look like a, a really well-rounded team who are going to challenge for classics, they're going to challenge for stage wins, they're going to challenge for top 10, top 5 and Grand Tours. Bora have spent very well. Yeah, well, worth noting, apart from Leopold Koenig, they've also got Raphael Micah, who, you know, off the leash, he could be, a, you know, podium uh, podium finisher at a Grand Tour, maybe. Um, they've, got, they've retained guys like Sam Bennett, fast sprinter, Jan Barter, who's good for a breakaway, and the young German Emmanuel Buchmann, who um, was a, a surprise national title winner a few years ago, and he looks like he's going to be a very good climber in the future. Be interesting to see how he goes. Uh, Matteo Pelucci is a fast sprinter. He seems to get lost a bit in some of those sprints. Um, I don't know how you've seen that, um, David, but he's he's definitely got speed. It's just a matter of putting it on the on the pay, on the right place. You know, not just having it on paper, but actually applying it to the end of a of a stage race. And interesting sprinter. Uh, last. The start of the season that's just finished, the start of 2016, Greg Henderson told me that uh, Peluki was gripe fast and he went on to have a bit of a disaster of a season, to be honest. He he doesn't always keep himself in the best shape. Uh, sometimes he's carrying too much weight. Uh, I think he's lost his way a little bit. Bora, very interesting that they have Sagan, who clearly will go for sprint stages and grand tours. They have Peluki, who will... You would imagine he would want to go to the Giro for sprint stages. And he is really, really fast. You're right. He does lose his way, but Bora have got a good lead-out train and they would be expecting a lot from Peluki. And then you've got Bennett, who is a really fast-developing Irish sprinter, led out by uh, the flying mullet himself, Shane Archbold. And I'm just hoping he doesn't get squeezed out over at Bora this season. Well, I mean, two... Two sprinters in a World Tour team, well, three sprinters even. I mean, you can space it out that there's enough racing for all of them to go to. Um, talking about bad seasons, Sam Bennett didn't really have the season that many expected of him uh, coming off, you know, strong results in Grand Tours from the previous year and even in, you know, major stage races apart from the Grand Tours. Um, he didn't really step up to that extent that we expected of him. Um, was there, there was a bit of bad luck in there. There's some injuries and illness and what have you, but there, do we need to see, is this the make or break season for Sam Bennett? Yeah, contract season. Uh, this year will determine whether he, he kind of stays World Tour if he, or he has to drop down. He is very, very talented. You're right, he had a bit of bad luck. It does seem to kind of hound him. He was desperately unfortunate in the Tour the previous year. Again, this season in the Tour, he was 
really bad luck. He finished uh, last man in the tour, but managed to go all the way, uh, finishing ninth on the Champs-Élysées. The end of the season is always good for him. He retained his title in Paris-Bourges. Uh, if he can get a season of good health, I would expect to see some big results from him. He's a fast uh, finisher, but he can also cope with a demanding day in the saddle. Uh, and it would be really good to see him kick on this season. Okay, on to TJ Sports um, Lamprey, who there's been some controversy around um, around what's happening over there. The, it's an on again, off again sort of thing. Their training camp, um, team training camp uh, for the preseason got cancelled, and riders and their agents were saying that they couldn't get in touch with Giuseppe Cerrone, who was um, running, who was who is running the team. And there's been a lot of talk about their sponsorship. Recently, it in the last few days, it's come through that they have secured some sponsorship from the Middle East uh, with the help of Cole Nago as well. So it looks at this stage that it's you know maybe fifty fifty whether they'll be in the whether they'll be in the World Tour this next season. They don't have uh, their license confirmed yet by the UCI. So those poor riders, they're up in limbo at the moment, and we're talking about the likes of Ben Swift, Rui Costa, Diego Ulisi, Darwin Atapuma. Jan Polank, Matej Mohoric, uh, Luis Manchez, uh, Sasha Madolo, Andrea Gardini. So there's some talented guys in there. Um, a lot of guys from Lamprey, obviously. Um, can they? Well, a let's assume that they're going to be a team at the moment, David. Um, what can they? What can they do next season? I think it was telling that uh, there was pictures of Swift, Ben Swift, and it was November, late November, still on his old bike. So if you're not getting the new bike from your team late November, the writing is kind of on the wall. We'll, we shall see. In a couple of days' time, the deadline is for the UCI, so we'll see what happens. Minkies is a big card. He, in my opinion, should have left the team. He should have gone somewhere else. Uh, he's a top 10 contender for Grand Tours. He did it in the Tour de France. He was outstanding in the Tour this season. Uh, very kind of slight character and... You don't see much of him. He's one of the, the classic riders who loves to hang at the back of the bunch, especially on the climb, and just bobs along and all of a sudden he finishes top 10. So he's, he's a class act. Ulisse obviously uh, performs extremely well in the Giro and nowhere else, really, to be honest. Uh, controversial rider after serving a ban for uh, drug abuse. What uh, does a lot of World Tour teams said no to him this season as well. Uh, so you can read into that what you what you will. Talented youngsters. I love Mohoric. I love Polank. I think they're both really good riders. And it would be a real shame for them if they end up scrapping around looking for a contract. If they don't make it as a team, there's a lot of riders here who will have to drop down a few levels. I don't see a large amount of teams looking to sign these riders. Other one I really like is Atapuma. Uh, real attacking rider. Uh, has been incredibly successful last season. Obviously, he left BMC to come here. Bit of a disaster what happened. Uh, you know, he finished the Vuelta in brilliant form, finishing second on the final mountain stage. Uh, it would be a real shame for riders like him if this kind of project fell through. Yeah, well, it, it does It does look like it's, you know, really up in the air at the moment. And as you said, the signs aren't good coming out of there, but Hopefully they can manage to scrap something together. The other rider you didn't mention, of course, probably probably one of my favourite riders, Rui Costa, um, did a, a great job at the Tour de France this year of 
attacking basically he was he was always in the main move and he and one stage he went off solo um on that stage where Sagan won up that kind of cobbly climb I can't, can't remember where it was going into um but yeah he was right he was right in the mix of things and a really enjoyable rider I mean a lot of people think that he hasn't exactly fulfilled his potential since winning that world that world championship um but to be honest, if there's any rider that I had to pick to watch, Rui Costa would probably be amongst the top 10, I'd say. Solid rider. I, I mean, that World Championship was just... I mean, yeah, I think every cycling fan will remember that for a long, long time. What an awesome awesome day that was. His, his Tour de France victories, three stages in the Tour, two of them, I think, in 2013. That was a glory season for him. Yeah, it, he was kind of going to be a GC rider for Grand Tours and that never quite materialised. And then he was going to be a one-day rider and a one-week stage rider. And that's kind of happened. Uh, I think he ended the season in really good form. He was up there in the Canadian races. He, he, he was looking good. And, you know, a bit of promise that he might be coming back to the form that we remember of him three years ago. Yeah, well, there's one stage where he couldn't be beaten in the Tour de Suisse. He won three in a row, and for some reason in Switzerland, he was absolutely unbeatable. I think he did well in Romandy as well, from memory. He kept on getting third there behind names like Chris Froome and et cetera. So um, he's, he's a guy who I hope that can do really well. Um, because we're an Australian podcast, David, you're going to have to indulge us a bit here, but we'll talk about the, the signings for Orica Scott. Um, the newly minted Orica Scott coming into the 2017 season. And there's two main ones to talk about. We're talking Roger Kluger for the sprint train and Roman Kreutziger for the climbing stakes. Um, obviously, Roman Kreutziger is a guy with some serious Grand Tour pedigree. He used to be a GC leader, but um, in more recent years, he's been like the main man for Alberto Contador. Um, is it a good move to get that experience in and supporting guys like Yates, the Yates brothers and Chavez for the future? Definitely. Uh, they went and signed Churuca and Plaza last season to help Chavez, two Spanish speakers, to help him along. Uh, Plaza worked out okay. Uh, Churuca was a bit of a disaster for, for both parties, to be honest. Uh, so they really needed somebody... And, and Plaza, although he did well, he, he's not a rider who's going to be there all the way up the final climb. So I can see exactly why they signed Kreuziger. How they used him is going to be fascinating. Uh, they spoke quite soon after the tour that they reckoned all three of their big stars would do the tour this season. And now they're talking maybe not. They're talking one of them might go and do the Giro. So how they work it is going to be very very difficult to manage the expectations of all three riders. He saw last season the difficulties in managing Matthews and Geddens together. Uh, I hope they've learned from that and they're going to make some kind of brave decisions. Chavez has obviously extended his contract as well. So let's see what happens and who goes uh, with Chavez. I would imagine that Kreuziger will go with Chavez and they might keep the twins together and let them work together. Uh, but it's a great signing. Uh, they needed that little bit extra help. Uh, the signing of Kluger, I think, is even better. Uh, they have now, with Ewan, they've got Mezgic and they've got Kluger. They've got two of the best riders in World Tour to, to support Caleb Ewan. They already have a fantastic sprint train. They've got riders who have so much experience and can time it 
perfectly inside the final 3K to come to the front. And now they add some proper speed. Uh, I mean, Kluger, remember one stage in the Giro this season. Mezgech is an outstanding sprinter in his own right. So it's fascinating how they are just putting an extra piece in each year to support Caleb Ewan. And I think this season is going to be a massive season for Caleb. It's a, it's a, almost um, a reuniting of the of the people who perform well at the Giro. I mean, I remember Luca Mezgech did a number of amazing leadouts for Caleb during that Giro. Um, there was one where I swear the stage was on a plate for, for you and it um, as Mezgech brought him forward and unfortunately couldn't quite finish up, got um, nabbed on the line there. I think it was by Greipel um, in one of the, about stage 10, something like that. Anyway, um, and then, of course, Roger Kluger did that famous victory where he dropped them all from about a kilometre and a half out and just stayed all the way to the line. Um, one of the most dramatic wins of that Giro, and it sticks with you. Probably up there with that Trenton win on that on that stage where he yeah. where he ca- <laughs> caught him from behind. That was there, there's so many good wins during the cycling season. I mean, you can't just you can't just pick out one or two without thinking of all the other ones. Um, is there, is there one that stands out particularly to you, you David, now that I've brought a few up? <sighs> Now you're talking, it's so, you're right, it is so, so difficult. Van Avermaet Olympics, I think that's, in fact, Van Avermaet, most races are, Van Avermaet, Umloop, Van Avermaet in, uh, what was it, Montreal, or the other Canadian race, can't remember now, when he beat Sagan in the sprint, that was Montreal. Uh, Yeah, I developed almost a love of Greg Van Avermaet this season. and I think him versus Sagan going into 2017, I would say we're kind of hinting a golden era for cycling where you have two riders about as good as we've seen for the last kind of 10, 15 years. Uh, so, you know, there has been some good wins in 2016. I think 2017 is going to be fairly epic in terms of Van Avermaet versus Sagan. Both riders clearly a good kind of 5% better than everybody else. So that that's kind of the thing I'm really looking forward to next season. Yeah, well, certainly in that sort of style of rider, that um, puncher who can get over a few climbs and then still have a sprint in towards the finish. I mean, obviously, Greg Van Avermaet has got less of a sprint than Sagan, but over you know those 250-kilometre races, it's more about the legs coming to the finish, not about pure speed. And we've seen that Van Avermaet can get over the top of Sagan in, in some, of those, some of those sprints. So... Yeah, it'll be in- incredibly interesting to look forward to. Um, on that note, um, it's interesting. BMC have uh, have lost a few riders, haven't they? Um, I mean, Philip Gilbert is probably the big the big name going from BMC to Edix Quick Quick Step. So he's not going to be there in those big classics, and they're not going to have that same one two punch that they. Um, may have had in the past they didn't I don't think it actually ever worked out like that so um maybe take that with a pinch of salt but it was always the dream team wasn't it um Gilbert and uh Van Avermaet and all their other weapons on the same team yeah they just seem to fill the team with more and more uh, time trial quality uh, they seem almost obsessed by this they've obviously captured the the young Australian boy Miles Scottson who's a really strong TT rider they just have a ridiculous TT talent in there. They've got Roach should have picked up to go and help Richie Port, hopefully try and win the Tour de France, uh, especially now that they've managed to persuade Van Garderen to go and do something else and let Port lead the team all by himself. I think 
Classics-wise, Van Avermaet is so good, but he did want the team to sign Oliver Nason uh, when he left I Am Cycling, and the team initially said no, and then Nason signed for AG2R, and then they changed their mind and tried to go back for him, but it was too late, and I know Van Avermaet was not too impressed with that move from the, the team bosses, but they do have another young Belgian called Dylan Toons, who is a sensational young rider. And last season, towards the end of it, we saw him getting back to his his brilliant best. He he is a real, real talent for the future. And he, he rode the Vuelta this season, so he should start the season with strong legs. And I think he can be the man who can be there with Van Avermaet kind of almost to the bitter end. Yeah, he's surprised in, I think it was the Tour of Britain where he really burst onto the scene as a youngster, if my memory uh, turns. And alongside names like Tish Benut um, and those sort of young riders who are really, really quite something special, um, he's definitely a name to watch for the future. So, yeah, good pick there, I'd say. Um, who else? Probably one of my favourite riders from last season, Diego Rosa, going from Sky, uh, going to Sky from Astana. Um is he going to get caught up um, just riding for others at Sky or is he going to get his opportunities, which he didn't get at Astana because they kept on making him ride for Fabio Aru? I think he goes straight into the Tour de France team. There's no, there's no messing here. Rosa is a serious rider. Uh, those who watched him last season, he is ridiculously talented and Sky were chasing him for a while, but he, and I think Sky was starting to get a bit of cold feet about him. But then they released the, the signature towards the end of the season. I think he will 100% ride for Froome at the Tour. If Poles goes and does the Giro, potentially as leader, they will need a, a kind of final man. And he, he is ridiculously qualified to go and do that job. But I do think they would have given him assurances that he will go and lead them in some races, possibly the Italian classics, the Il Lombardia, where he was outstanding this season and most people would say that he would have won it if Aru had let him go earlier and not made him ride on the front like a crazy man for so long. Uh, I mean, also this season he won that ridiculous stage uh, in Pay Vasco where he was solo for just about the whole day uh, and then he got off his bike at the end and held it above him. I mean, Rosa is, he is the signing that the teams fear. He is another guy who just goes into that Sky Mountain train and will just drop rider after rider after rider. So good luck at the Tour de France if you are up against him because he's he's magnificent. The question is, though, is he going to be, you know, the next Valpools or is he going to be the next Mikel Lander? I mean, obviously you can go from, you can go to Sky and you can go well or you can go to Sky and you can essentially disappear. I mean, Mikel Lander, I mean, he didn't have the season that many were expecting from him. And he didn't, yeah, I mean, he was going to go to the Giro as the leader, but we didn't see any leading from him there. And he didn't look really convincing apart from, yeah, even at the Dauphiné, he looked pretty ordinary as well, didn't he? I mean, there were a number of riders who looked, you know, better than him and he's made to look average in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, it wasn't great. I mean... Illness kind of ravaged his season, but I mean, he won Trentino, but that's hardly the return Sky were looking for from him. The thing is, Sky and the Giro have a real relationship of hate 
it never goes well for them. You know, Wiggins has gone there and he's had a disaster. Port's gone there, had a disaster. Lander goes there, has a disaster. So Sky and Majiro just don't mix particularly well. I think it would be good for them to go with a couple of leaders this season. Rosa, you know, he's 27. Froome will not go for... I mean, can we put a shelf life on Froome? Are we maybe saying two years, possibly? At that level, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how long Froome can continue to go. The problem for Rosa is Sky, for the brand, need a British leader. And they will continue to look for that British leader. And Rosa might eventually get his hand in Giro or Vuelta, but for the Tour de France, Sky will continue to look towards a, a British talent. Yeah, and there's a lot of speculation that um, Orica Scott are just keeping the Yates brothers on ice for for Sky. Um, <laughs> I know the Orica guys don't like it when the media says stuff like that, but you you do get this feeling that um, the Sky just waiting, waiting until um, Froome you know shows some signs of of closing down, and then they'll just say, "Okay, you two youngsters, you get the call up now." Or a young Hugh Carthy as well, who. Uh, is in regular contact with the guys at Sky and when he signed for Cannondale this season decided that Sky wasn't for him I think the contract offer would have been there but he decided he wasn't ready himself to go and join Sky uh, so if he continues to develop over the next two years uh, he's a bit of competition for the Yates brothers although he is slightly younger than him but I, I do think Sky will eventually go and replace Froome with British GC riders and the two Yates brothers are head and shoulders the best just now. Okay, um, we'll get some quick takes now um, as we go through like the other major um, ones. Um, Alberto, Alberto Contador to Trek, is he is he through? Finished. Okay, Wilco Kelderman to Sunweb Giant. Can he recover the promise that he showed earlier in his career? I mean, he's good rider, good good time trialers, good climber. Yeah, for me, it just lacks that little bit. And they've got Dumoulin, obviously, who's going to try and focus on GC now as well. So is he signing as a, as a domestic or is he signing as a, a team leader? I'm not too sure. If a rider like Kelderman couldn't make it at Jumbo, I don't think he'll make it anywhere else. Okay. Um, Jarlinson Pantano, two trick from IAM Cycling. Is he a star or... Is he just the beneficiary of being in some good positions in breaks and happening to be the strongest man there? One of the riders of the Tour this season. What a, what a... I mean, I thought he was good, but at the Tour, he was just simply outstanding. It will be interesting to see the role he has at Trek. They would be foolish to go and ask him to be domestic for Molima or Contador. I would be giving Pantano free license to just hit those breaks because he will deliver stage after stage after stage. Great rider. Tony Martin, the Panzerwagen, um, off to Katusha from Etics Kickstep. Um, does that instantly make Katusha one of the favourites for the team time trial? Going by the end of the season, you would think so. I mean, he looked finished. He honestly did this season. At the start, he was poor mid-season poor and all of a sudden goes back to his old TT position, wins the world title easily. Uh, yeah. Katusha have a weird team this season. They, they've gone for a team that which was mainly kind of Russian. They've gone really international 
and they've signed lots of talented riders, but kind of smallish riders. So like Jose Gonçalves from Portugal, from Cayo Real. They've got Baptiste Plancart, uh, who they've picked up from uh, pro continental level. Katusha look a bit all over the place, if I'm going to be honest. They still have their stars in Ilno Zakarin and uh, Shaman Spilak. But for me, Tony Martin, I don't. he's going to go in as a leader for the Classics. I don't see him being that rider who's going to win those races. Fair enough. Well, they've still got Christoph as well, obviously, but they lost uh, Rodriguez and Moreno um, the previous season, who used to be, and that used to be their kind of identity. They'd be those um, sort of punchy riders in the Classics, but no longer that same identity. Um, Michael Matthews is one from earlier in the season, uh, Orica to Sunweb Giant. is. I mean, did he need to get out of the Orica atmosphere where the competition between him and Garens? Yes. I mean, you'll be better placed to tell us the ins and outs of that one, Jamie. Uh, from those looking from the outside, it seemed that the two of them really did not get on at all. From what I heard... The problem was Matthews, not Gerens, and that Gerens had previously worked for Matthews. And when Matthews was asked to work for Gerens, he refused towards the end of that season. And last season was a joke. The two of them going to the same races, riding individually. I'm thinking back to Amstel Gold, where Gerens was there and just didn't ride on the front. Uh, And Matthews was there and he didn't ride on the front. It It was bordering on the laughable. And... They were almost making a laugh and stock out of Orica. So I'm delighted that Matthews has moved. I stand by the fact that I think he is the rider of his generation. He is an outstanding athlete. I've got to be honest, I'm surprised he went to Sunweb because I would have imagined that bigger teams would have been after him. Clearly they weren't. I don't know the reason behind that because I think he can win. He can win stages in Grand Tours. He can win Classics. If he has his head screwed on, I think he can have a massive season. And obviously the big targets are races like Milan, San Remo, um, stages of, of Grand Tours. So Tour de France obviously on the on the agenda as well. It's yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what he does with the role of fully protected leader and without that role being in question. Um thing is um, I always want to call him Giant Sunweb, um, but that that sounds a bit weird. So Sunweb Giant. Um they they do have that history of of um, of having those big main leaders with a very good support cast around them. And on that on that note, John Degenkolb uh, leaves uh, Sunweb Giant to go to Trek, and it was it was announced at a very similar time. And you sense that this swappy do had been arranged, you know, ahead of time, so they knew that they were getting rid of Degenkolb and they and they could get Matthews in. Um, Degenkolb takes with him Cone de Court to Trek and you know is that is that a good move? I mean, obviously he had a very hard season with that crash, um, nearly losing his finger in that hor- horrific crash in the Spanish training camp. There, um, can he continue um, to come back to his best? He, he showed signs towards the end of the season. The uh, court going is, is a good move. He knows him well. They work well together. He's obviously trying to replace Cancellara, which. It's going to be very difficult for any rider to replace Cancellara. He goes in and Trek already have a tight Belgian unit in there. They've got uh, Tunes, they've got Steuben, two riders who will be expecting 
chances in the Belgian races and Degenkob comes in also. So how Trek manage the expectations will be interesting to see, but they do have two, maybe three riders who will be there in the last 10, 15 kilometres of the big, big races, which obviously is fantastic news for the team. So I think Degenkob will be a good signing. We've yet to see if he will fully recover from his crash, so I don't think some good performances towards the end of the season is enough. We, we will need to see how he gets on after a full winter's training behind him. And to be honest, um, those performances were sprints at the end of races. They weren't the really full-on classics efforts, which we expect from John Degenkolb and, you know, what, what, which are his bread and butter, essentially. He's one of the tough... He has the reputation of being one of the toughest riders out there in the peloton. And it's really those, you know, the Paris-Roubaix, the Tour of Flanders, those really tough Grand Tour stages where he can get to the end and unleash his sprint. That's where we expect to see John Degenkolb do his best. Um, and the other one, um, you've already mentioned this briefly in passing, but one of the few men to win all three of the Grand Tours going around, Vincenzo Nibali, Astana to Bahrain, Merida. <sighs> will will he win another Grand Tour? No. That's him done. No Scarponi, no Grand Tour win for Nibali. I think Scarponi and Kangert were so instrumental in him winning that Giro particularly Scarponi in the last couple of days. Nibali needs that level of support, and at Bahrain, he has nowhere near that level of support. They recently made a few signings, Franco Pelizzotti and Janis Brakovic. Are they reading form lines <laughs> from about five years ago, or what's going on yeah, there, David? Great signing back, uh, you know, 2011. That's a fantastic signing. I remember Pelizzotti almost went to Astana, but MPCC membership... KO'd that move a few years back, so I think they must be good friends, but yeah, they, they clearly do not have the domestics at the level required to put Nibali in the, in the winning move, and with the Giro being the 100th edition this season and so many top riders going, I think it's going to be very hard for Nibali to, to win the Giro. Okay, um, well, we'll end it there with our tour uh, with our discussion of the world tour and we shall come back with a quick preview of the australian racing okay and back with a quick look at the australian road season and we we had a brief discussion about this it's not quite the super impactful thing but it does kick off the season um that and the Tour of San Luis, I suppose, really kicking off the World Tour season. And from the 1st of January, it is the Bay Criteriums. It's shortened a bit this year because of the early start to the national championships, but it'll still be three stages. And it's always a good idea to get down to the Bay Crits and take a look at who's going well, because it's probably your only chance to really find out who's got form and who doesn't before the national championships go up. Um, David, you're saying that you keep an eye on, on the Bay Crits? Yeah, it's always good to see Caleb's form uh, usually flying. I mean, I don't know how far off he is. Uh, Robin McEwen's record at Bay Crits already at such a young age, but he's sure to take out the, the record number of wins at some point in his career. Such a good criterium rider. Orica always... It's nice to see how they develop the riders on those particular stages, they'll rest some, they'll bring other guys in. Uh, weirdly, I think the women's races are more entertaining 
they seem to provide uh, more riders who can potentially win other than the, the men's, which is really, for good reason, dominated by Orica and usually won by Orica. And in the women's, it's often won by Orica as well, as it was last year, where Gracie Elvin took took the win. Um, as you mentioned, there are plenty of other names in there who could potentially challenge uh, somebody like Lauren Kitchen, Kimberly Wells. Kimberly Wells, I love Kimberly Wells. She's super strong rider, super strong. I, I'd love to see her step up at some point. Yeah, well, she, she'd love to as well. She races very well, obviously, in the US scene. But um, I think I, I think I heard a rumor that she wouldn't be doing that next year. Um, so I'm not entirely certain what she's doing. I should I should chase that up because she's a very classy rider and was probably unlucky to miss out on world selection. To be honest, um, especially given with how that went for the Australian women, Chloe Hoskin got a bit lost at the end there um, and yeah. didn't get the lead out that maybe she should have. Um, anyway, so after that, it will be the national championships. Still at Buninyong, we've been we've been doing this course for donkey's years now, and you you get a very similar type of rider winning it. I mean, there are there is the potential for a strong sprinter to get over the top, and we've seen Michael Matthews in the past um, go very close to go very close to taking wins there. Um, he took second one year behind Luke Durbridge, um, but there are there is really that potential for the climber or a strong breakaway rider to win the win the race there and it's the same in the women really though that race often comes down to the final two laps rather than um being being an all-out slog like it was last year when obviously jack robridge took that amazing win um dave i don't know if you actually get any coverage of that race over there or if you pay any attention oh always will always try and watch it but frustratingly the whoever the host is it gem some weird tv channel uh, yeah, well, channel, channel nine, channel nine have the broadcast rights, but yes, it often does get shunted to their second channel. Yeah, they seem to block any online coverage of it, which is weird because the Cadell Evans race is is on the Cadell Evans race website and free for everybody to watch. Whereas the the Aussie Championships usually you can't get, uh, so we're we're left over here waking up in the middle of the night just uh, looking at Twitter to see. Bobridge was still away and still away and still away. Uh, this season, after Orica missed out last year, I cannot believe that they will miss out again this season. Yeah, they're certainly not letting um, Jack... Well, it won't be Jack Bobridge, he won't be there. But they're certainly not, not letting somebody strong get 15 minutes up the road and uh, then forcing themselves to have the burden of chasing it down. So it will be a different race this year, that's for certain. Um and for the yeah, and for the women, obviously Orica again, the guys with the big card, get big big team to play the cards there. Um, though a lot of the local Australian teams should be strong for that one, so don't discount them when they're in and their impact on the race because they also have some numbers to play with. Um, from there, we go off to South Australia, and more importantly, I'm doing the 12-hour drive or whatever it is from Melbourne to Melbourne to Adelaide. And from the 14th of January, it is the Santos Women's Tour. Always a good race, and it gets underreported. I've, I've, I always, always talk to the other reporters who are there for the Tour Down Under, and I, I try and shame them a bit into saying, oh, well, why weren't you at the finish of the Santos Women's Tour? You're in town anyway. Why not, why not come along? And, uh, yeah, but it's some really good racing. Probably one of the most memorable days of last season was watching Amanda Spratt taking a solo win in... 
over 40 degree temperatures, which was, and it was some of the harshest racing I've ever seen. And the field split to bits, essentially, essentially on a pinpool of a climb. It wasn't, wasn't a climb that you'd normally put a KOM on the top of, but they, you know, stuck it on the top of something because they had to. And the field just absolutely split to pieces over that because it was 40 degree temperatures. Um, definitely one to, to watch and there'll be more world tour teams there this year with the extra world tour team points there. Um, you, you, you're, you're a, a growing fan of the women's scene, David. I know you've um, been doing more interviews with uh, Carly Taylor, obviously great personality. Uh, and it's, it's getting a bit more, getting a bit more respect for the women's racing. We're, we're getting there. It's not quite there. Uh, certainly La Course, we're going to try and lengthen uh, their event 2017. It's currently just a, a pathetic one-day criterium in Chandelise, and they've decided to completely change it and make it a, a kind of 60, a bizarrely 60-kilometer race, which is just ridiculous for women. Uh, and it's got a climb at the end, and they think this is progress rather than the, the promise of a longer race, which they were given last season and failed to materialise. So some some races uh, treat it seriously, like Ride London, where they had equal prize money for men and women, which was a, a real step forward, but unfortunately it's still not being valued uh, as much as it should be. Interesting that the Tour Down Under this year seems to be a little bit harder. Uh, a few more climbs in the, the women's uh, race, a couple of stages with some tough climbs in it. I know... Uh, Carly has been working very hard and training an awful lot uh, over in Spain and now over in Australia. And it, I think it, one of the stages finishes in her hometown or it goes through her hometown. So I will be expecting Carly Taylor to be on fine form for the women's tour down under. Well, hopefully she's, uh, she's a very enjoyable person to talk to, Carly, and uh, probably underappreciated in, in the Australian cycling scene. She hasn't um, she wasn't really given a chance with Orica to do what she was good at and racing with other teams. It's hard to make, make that impression with the Australian public. So she's a really enjoyable person and I'd love to see her take the win there. So hopefully we see something along that, along those lines. Um, from there, it's into the first men's world tour race of the season and the tour down under. Um, it's a very similar schedule to what we've seen in previous years. Um, they added in, the climb to Paracombe, if anyone knows that one. It's a short but fairly steep climb. And I think last year, uh, last time it was in the race, it was Rowan Dennis who won up that climb and used that to build upon um, the overall, to build to the overall win. Um, and apart from that, the Wollonga stage is going to be the main one. And then you've got a bunch of, you know, sprint stages and intermediate sprint stages in there as well. Um, there's not too much to say about that, except for, of course, the presence of Peter Sagan. Um, you looking forward to, to that one, Dave? Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. Alarm is set, two o'clock in the morning uh, over here. Uh, it makes a change for us guys getting up early, not you guys. Uh, so the, I suppose the big question is, can Richie Port not lose time so that he can take Wollonga and win the overall uh, it's overdue, let's just say that. And uh, the Paracoom climb is great. I love that. A uh, couple of years back, it's so, so steep and just brings a kind of different vibe to the race as well. And it makes the kind of pure climbers think they have a good chance. Although Dennis surprised everybody a couple of years ago when they were looking at Cadell and he nipped off and won it. I suppose the pressure will be on Gerens after 
let's be honest, a fairly average season last year to see what he can do. Uh, although a certain Esteban Chavez will also be riding for Orica, so they certainly will have a few cards to play. Yeah, the the push to get Esteban out to Australia has been an interesting one because obviously he's got a large fan base here with his results in the Grand Tours, and I think everyone loves um, Chavez's smile. He's he's a, an engaging character in that way, but he's never really good at the start of his seasons. So it will be interesting to see how much emphasis he and Orica put on him coming to Australia because. I think it will upset his schedule if he's going to be too good too early because we've never seen it from him before. I think he, I think it will be all about Gerens and then they will want Chavez to try and beat Froome in the Sun Tour. Speaking of which, the Draco Herald Sun Tour, um, actually it comes after the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, which is adding a, a, pre, a pre-race criterium as well, which the I think the main teams are forced to forced to do as well. So if you want to be part of the of the world tour um, level um, Great Ocean Road Race, you have to do the Criterium as well, um, which they probably won't. On a racing lot. track, on a racing track. I mean, have they not learned from these guys in the Middle East? It's just it's, I can't think of anything as soulless as cyclists going around a, a racing track. Well, Albert Park's not. It's not. Um, Abu Dhabi to a level boring um, scenery. I mean, there's, uh, but yes, the roads are going to be wider um, and there's going to be, you know, less of that spectacle. It will be a bit reminiscent of some of those American races where they race on roads which are incredibly far too wide to encourage interesting racing or an interesting spectacle at least. And yeah, I think, I think they might be a bit lost from that, but who knows? Maybe they, they create a bit of interest. Um, there, there are a few, a few Italian races. Um, go to the go to their racetracks and they're okay so you know yeah the, uh, the the lack of sprinters who normally go to Cadell Evans race because it is quite hilly uh, I mean the criterion might be a bit of a weird one it's not full of top line sprinters uh well who do we have last year we had uh, Niccolo Bonifacio he was he came third in Cadell Evans and Lee Howard um, came second, so who knows? He's it might right, be. He's, he's, it's there. It's uh, Aqua Blue's first race, so I think uh, if Howard can deliver a, a good performance, it would be obviously a, a tremendous start for the new team. Yeah, and they, they've got an interesting roster as well. We didn't quite get to them. I, I was thinking about talking about them, despite the fact they're not World Tour, but they have recruited well, I'd say. So looking forward to seeing what they can do. Um, it looks like they'll be down for a number of the Australian races as well. Um, speaking of, uh, the, probably the final big one on the calendar is the Jaco Herald Sun Tour. They've moved to a more hilly format to maybe entice Chris Froome back again. I mean, to say, hey, Chris, here's an opportunity. You can come to Australia, get your training in, do a few guest appearances and rake some money in from a few speeches here and there, a few easy rides. And then you can start your season off with some nice hilly racing in the Herald Sun Tour. And he was here last year, took the win, um, ahead of his own teammate, Peter Kenyuk. And this year, it looks teed up for him again. He off, often starts the season very well, and it'll be a bit, and it'll be even more suited to to his talents, um, a rider of his talents, with a few uh, hilltop finishes and some hard courses. So I think it'll be him, Chavez, maybe a few young Australian riders who can really climb and Throw the uh, throw the hat in hat in the ring. Um, I don't know if you've seen the course, David. 
yeah, it looks harder. Uh, everybody's saying it's tailor-made for Froome uh, to bring him back. He, he does seem to like Australia. I remember him, uh, he went to Tasmania with Richie Port maybe two, three years ago and he raced in, was it Launceston? Uh, yeah, yeah. And then he, he came he, back obviously you, last you, season. Your, your memory is very good. Um, yeah, he raced um, the Stan Shaker Classic down there. Um which is mainly a race for sprinters, but he got out there and showed that he's, you know, willing to, you know, show his face in the local cycling community yeah. and, and give back. Obviously he and Richie are very good friends and he's developed a relationship with um, Andrew Christie Johnson, who's one of the main, um, one of the main direct sportifs down here in Australia. So he's, he's developing ties within the Australian community and, oh. yeah, and he's clearly enjoying it down here. Otherwise he wouldn't come back. It was cool to see Richie there again this season, smashing it up. Uh, that little ramp they've got, uh, that was good. But from yeah, you know what? It depends on his motivation. He normally wants to win races that he's in, and it will be a kind of small from versus Chavez battle. And it will be good for some of the young Australians to just get a bit of experience riding beside these guys. Uh, I notice that, you know, the Australian... Uh, Academy team obviously had a really good Tour de year, and some of these riders have been picked already to go in the, the Uni SA team in the Tour de Under and I would imagine we'd see them uh, down here as well so it'll be good for these young riders to, to match up uh, hopefully Sky leave uh, Pete Kennock back at home this year and we don't get any altercations with any of the Australian riders. Oh well Patch Shaw's not riding anymore um, so he <laughs> can't, can't get in a fight with him uh, now, obviously, um, you know, we like Pat being here on the podcast, but he is a divisive, divisive figure. So, um, as long as, as long as he and, as long as he and Kenya can't there on the sidelines, I, I, I don't think there should be too much issue. <laughs> um, yeah, you were, you, you did mention the uni SA team there and they have already confirmed four young riders for the neck, for the, for that block of racing. I think they'll race the tour down under the Herald Sun tour and the Cadell Evans road race together and so far it's lucas hamilton um john hinley and michael storer and callum scottson all lining up there all of them very good riders uh they do have slightly different skills lucas hamilton is a serious climber world tour um in 2018 i would I'd be surprised i wouldn't be too surprised if he was signed to a pre-contract with orica green edge already or orica scott as they're now called already um who else from there? Jai Hindley and Michael Storer both were great in the in those under twenty three Italian classics. They did a sterling job there, and then went on and did even better at the Tour de l'Avenir. Um, Lucas Hamilton was a bit sick there, but he still managed to uh, win the mountains classification and come second on that final stage. Um, who else? And Callum Scottson, absolute powerhouse time trialist. He's got a yeah. massive motor, bigger than his brother Miles in a lot of ways, and one for the future. The, the, the boy Hindley, uh, uh, he finished second in Anpos Ras, which is a brutal Irish race. Uh, anyone who can do well there is a serious rider. Clearly, they look like they will add a sprinter. Uh, it was Von Hoff last season, wasn't it? So I wonder if it will be Von Hoff again this season or if they'll go somewhere else. Yes, still, um, last, last I heard, he was still up in the air for a team. For next season, after one pro got the downgrade to continental status, he was looking for something bigger. Obviously, um, 
there's been no announcement on that front yet, so we'll have to see what colours he turns up with with at uh, Bay Crits and then Nationals. So it's he, he's often he's often that cusp rider still. He's a he's a talented sprinter, but he he just can't quite crack it for that consistent place at well at World Tour level or quite at Pro Conti level anymore. So be interesting to see what he does. Anyway. David, I think we've been chatting for long enough. We should probably uh, call it a call it a, a day there. Good stuff. Okay, um, you can catch up with Breakdown Podcast on Twitter, on Facebook. Just search Breakdown Podcast. Um, or if you want to get in contact, contact with us by email, send an email to Breakdown Podcast, all one word at gmail you can find David on Twitter at Cycling Mole. He does a lot of betting predictions throughout the season. Um, you do a subscription service, I understand, as well, David. I do, yes. I sell my betting tips for the priceless sum of £50 a month. And presumably you make um, you do make a profit. I've seen your profit figures. Um, you say you can make a big return on David tips if you're, if you're smart enough, um, I suppose. Um, when, when are those, when you, when's your first batch coming out, Dave? Oh, that's uh, the Australian Nationals. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that. And until then, I think we'll say goodbye. Thanks for joining us, David. Hopefully for maybe an episode or two in the future as well. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, it's bye from me, and we'll catch you around later. Bye.